The scripture reading today is from 1 Timothy chapter 2. You can find it printed on page 9 of your worship folder. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Between the words that are spoken and the words that are heard, may the Spirit of God be present. Amen. Good morning. My name is Scott Sherman. Uh, I know some of you, and a lot of you I don't know, uh, but I've, I've actually been around here a long time. I lead Newbigin House of Studies, which is an affiliated ministry of City Church uh, alongside uh, City Hope, which is the other affiliated ministry. Um, and I, just before I start here, I want to say, you, some of you have noticed I'm not wearing the uniform of most of the clergy lately. Uh, City Church has a history of ministers from different denominations coming to serve at this church, which is a, one particular denomination. And I'm in a process of transitioning to a different denomination. And so I have to lay aside my uniform for a little while. So don't worry, I'll have it back on soon. Uh, you know, my family and I, we, uh, we moved here in the fall of 2005. Uh, and it was an exciting time for one reason, because the city was all set uh, to celebrate a big anniversary in the spring of 2006, because it was the centenary of the 06 earthquake. So there were gatherings, there were documentaries, just all kinds of you know, new books coming out. They would have gatherings, and there were still, at that time, there were still survivors of the quake. They were, they were pretty old, <laughs> but they were still around. Um, and, uh, you know, I started learning about the quake, and one of the things I learned uh, somewhere in a book or a documentary, I can't remember now, um, was that what happened was it was fire that destroyed the city. Because when the quake happened, it broke all the water mains. It also broke all the gas mains. So there's gas everywhere. So when the fire started, it just consumed the city. And when the fire department got there, their hoses wouldn't work. Now, it is also true that at that time, San Francisco was the largest producer of wine in California. And so what they did was they used wine to fight the fire. Between the firefighters and the fire, 10 million gallons of wine <laughs> were used on the great fire to no effect. <laughs> um, uh, now, 
here's my point. When you look out at the world we live in right now, uh, which I would say a world that's pretty much on fire with injustice in all kinds of ways, do you ever feel like someone who, when you, when you face it down, you're, you're holding a hose that just has no water? Well, maybe you have a bump. You know, you hear about high school kids uh, striking for climate justice. I mean, that, that, you know, that's always a nice little bump, but then you kind of settle back into the reality of where are we really in the fight against injustice in this world? And along comes a New Testament writer, someone writing as the Apostle Paul to a junior leader in a congregation, uh, his, his apprentice Timothy, in Ephesus, a great ancient city, and basically says, you know, when the world's on fire, when the world's a mess, and the church you're in is also a disaster, which in their case it was, uh, when that's going on, what I want you to do, first of all, he says, is pray. As a community, I want you to pray. Now, I can almost hear a collective groan that goes something like hashtag thoughts and prayers, right? Because we hear that phrase pray, and what it often, I think, brings up for us is the idea of prayer without action, right? I remember after the Parkland shooting seeing a cartoon of, uh, of a garbage truck pulling up to a school with, uh, with a sign on the side that said, thoughts and prayers, and, 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 a, and a kid on the side saying, hooray, the thoughts and prayers have arrived. Uh, but in this case, I want to maintain that Prayer does not mean hashtag thoughts and prayers. But rather, this is a letter to someone who is already engaged in what the writer calls fighting the good fight. This is someone who's deeply engaged in the life of the city and is saying in the face of all that is in front of them, first thing I want you to do is pray. Now, uh, you have the text in front of you, and I'd like for you to, it's, it's a brief reading. I'd like for you to follow along. Uh, this First uh, Timothy two, and notice this, the the request is this: first of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. One uh, modern translation of this says, "I want you to pray every way you know how for everyone you know." Pray, you know, don't worry about what all those different things mean. Any way you can think of praying, pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Um, now, this is, this is pretty radical. It really is. If you think of the way religion works and the way religious uh, tribalism works, you actually have this command that is saying, look, don't just pray for yourselves, for your team and your tribe. It's a radical call towards empathy and love a desire to see flourishing move beyond just us to them, for the world itself to become a place on earth like it is on heaven. Uh, Luke, Timothy, they're actually praying for all because they see themselves as part of the all. Luke, Timothy, Johnson, great New Testament scholar, said, 
This, this, one, this one call to prayer represents a leap forward in early Christian consciousness. Well, then it pushes on into more detail. And notice the next verse says, to pray for kings and all who are in high positions so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. Now, this is very much a historically embedded situation uh, that goes back to the time of the synagogues, uh, the time of the birth of Jesus, when Caesar Augustus was the king, uh, the emperor, who demanded worship of the emperor as divine. And there there was a compromise around some Roman religions as well as specifically the Jews, which was to say, they said, we can't, we can't pray to Caesar as divine. Now, this would actually later on become a source of persecution for both Jews and Christians, but early on there was a compromise. And the compromise was, okay, if you don't pray to Caesar, pray for Caesar. And so here you see early Christians following in that idea to basically, um, you know, pray for tranquility and quiet, that is, that we won't be uh, killed (laughs) or persecuted. But it can also be a kind of another red flag, because passages like this have been and are being used as a way to kind of essentially say to people, you know, what Christianity really means is that we're supposed to accept the status quo when it comes to power. Uh, it, this is the old Karl Marx's religion is the opiate of the masses, right? It's a way to basically pacify people, quiet them, to not rock the boat, or at best, embrace some kind of incrementalist vision. But if you look at prayer, I, I don't think this really holds up. If you look at prayer in the prophets, if you look at prayer in Jesus, or holy cow, his mother, Uh, check out the Magnificat, Google that if you don't know what it is, you will find that prayer is something that is very much the idea of rooting yourself in the love of God and God's desire for justice and God's demand for justice. That's what prayer, true prayer, actually does. And this writer then begins to show the story out of which that vision of justice comes. Stay with me in the text. Notice what he says. This is right. This, that is this idea of praying for all, including the people who might kill us and destroy the planet. Uh, it says, this is right and it's acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. So he's retelling the biblical story. And notice what the writer is saying. Don't do this because we cut a deal with Caesar. Caesar is, in fact, not Lord. Um, No human is Lord. Uh, No human, no politician I might add, is the chosen one, all right? That's not who's Lord. There's only one Lord. And what the writer does is a very Jewish thing. He re, you may recognize that language where he says, there is one God. That is a Greek version of the Hebrew prayer, the Shema. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it's saying it's not because of Caesar. It's because God. We are in a story with God. God is bringing about justice. There's only one God, and notice there's a twist here. (laughs) There's a story that's very much rooted in being refocused by how Jesus has changed things. Because it's not just, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But it's, hear all of that, and here's the twist. (laughs) And the twist is, there's also one mediator between God and humankind, Jesus Christ. This is a very Pauline idea. Let me read you uh, uh, my favorite rendering of this Shema with a twist, uh, the hero Israel with a twist. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Just listen to this. And Paul writes there, Yet for us, there is one God and Father from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. So this is worship God, not the earthly rulers, but more view it through the story of this Jesus who has come among us, who has taught us, who has died, who has been raised from the dead. For he uses the word ransom or liberation, right? Our redemption for the brokenness of the whole world. He has become human. God has actually become among us as human and is therefore now connected to everyone and everything so that it all matters. Nothing, everyone in every way. And notice just the universal desire for goodness and flourishing for salvation to come that you read in verse 4, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the knowledge of the truth about Jesus. See, these first followers, they, they, are, they are going on the testimony of the first witnesses, many of whom saw the crucifixion, who witnessed the re- Jesus' vindication and his resurrection. And they remembered what he taught about the love of God, what he taught about nonviolence, about non-retribution, what he taught about forgiveness, and what he taught about reconciliation, and what he taught about prayer, what he taught about a, really a new way to be a human community. And they're saying, this is for the flourishing of everybody. But I could also hear you say, yeah, come on, but for a world on fire is really the first thing we need to do, pray. <laughs> well, all right, let me, I, we've gone through the text. Let me just give you a couple of observations about how if you allow the Jesus story to really shape your heart and your mind, you begin to see all these, you see the world on fire in a different way. First of all, you see that, I would say, you see that things are in fact changing. The world is changing in light of this story. Um, My wife came to me a few weeks back, and it was one of those, honey, I got a surprise. We're going to have a really romantic evening. I bought Brandy Carlisle tickets. Yeah. And I said, oh, that's great. Gave her a big hug. 
I went downstairs and I Googled Brandy Carlisle. That's the truth. <laughs> um, and while she wasn't listening, and she's not here this morning, I started playing Brandy Carlisle on Spotify so I would know about this great date I was going on. And I actually found this song that I really love. And it's a song about bullies. I don't know if you know this song, but here, it's, it's, this is the chorus. It is, let them laugh while they can, let them spin, let them scatter in the wind. I've been to the movies, I've seen how it ends, and the joke's on them. I think that's very much the way the Christian vision is. We've actually, we know what the story is. We've seen the movie. And, that, and that's why we can sing and it's why we can pray. And that's actually what motivates us to not give up and say there's no water in the hose, but to actually engage. Things are changing. Secondly, and part of the experience of those who I think travel in Christian community and participate in the sacraments that share in this communal life of prayer uh, for the world and for ourselves and for our neighbors and for our city is we see that we are also changing. We experience it. I came across a great story of this in uh, one of the memoirs of uh, Anne Lamont. If you, if you, I really recommend her to you if you've not read her, her memoirs. They're all, there's a bunch of them, and they're great. But uh, several years ago, uh, during the Iraq War, <laughs> she describes hearing her pastor, uh, Veronica, at a church up in Mill Valley, uh, preaching on praying for your enemies, quoting Dr. King heavily, uh, praying for your enemies. And uh, she said, I became so overcome. She said, I was like a Jim Carrey character in my chair, trying to hold myself back until finally I ran to the front of the congregation and I said to her, to Pastor Veronica, that I so loathed, and she named the president at the time, I so loathed him that it was making me mentally ill. And so she called the pastor called on the church to pray for her. And Anne Lamott says, and in that prayer, I actually began to change. She says this, I realized that loving enemies meant identifying with their humanity and weaknesses. It didn't mean unconditional acceptance of their crazy behavior. They were still accountable for the atrocities they perpetuated, but you are accountable for yours and you worked at doing better, at loving them because you're trying not to make things worse. The world is changing. You're being changed. But also, lastly, you are invited to be part of the change. Prayer rooted in this story, you begin to realize that you actually have a role to be part of this change. You're, I can imagine somebody saying, so, okay, so how does prayer work? What does it actually do? I do not know. I don't fully know. I know that prayer is not the equivalent of the infinity gauntlet of Thanos. <laughs> uh, it does not give you absolute power to achieve your will in God's name. I like, um, I like the, uh, nor does it make you Maria Callas. Uh, Maria Callas famously said of prayer, she said, I go to the church, I light a candle, and I say, what you are going to do, you are going to do. It's somewhere between Thanos and Maria Callas, I would say. <laughs> Prayer is, uh, Blaise Pascal put it this way, 
It's an invitation to causality. William Temple said, you know, when I pray, I find that coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't. We come, we ask, and that's what forms us for action. It's not just pray so we'll survive, so we'll be okay, but it's prayer so that the way of Jesus will flourish. The great uh, uh, theologian Justo Gonzalez says, you know, when you read the biblical story, when you read the story of Jesus, when you finish it, it doesn't say the end. It says RSVP. Prayer is a realization of RSVP. God is at work And God invites us to be part of that work. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, breathe on our fearful, uh, cynical, catastrophizing hearts and give us a uh, a renewed hope, a renewed sense that you are at work in the world ahead of us, the world that you have begun to redeem and will redeem, and that we have a place in that story, may we seek to find it both as a community and individually in our special, unique places and gifts in ways that reveal your loving purposes, the knowledge of the truth, That is in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.